Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Hwai Chen Bui. I'm a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. And I'm joined by only one of my co-hosts today. Yes, Anya, I think, is on vacation. She's having a, a bunch of fun on her Instagram stories. Um, but it's just me, Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. Uh, today, it's getting, to, it's getting close to fall. I just saw a couple leaves change colors outside my window. Summer's winding down. <laughs> in real down. time. He saw it happen. Just yeah, like... it was weird. I've never seen that before, but it was like green. And then it just like the wind shook it and it was yellow. Wow. It's sort of, it's very magical and not of this world. Um, but fall is arriving. Summer's winding down. The equinox is coming. Um, and so we figured we would do a back to school episode, but instead of talking about school and like films and TV shows set in school, which we may do one day, we decided to do another one of our homework episodes in which we assign each other, the, the all the, the different co-hosts will assign different media to watch and report back. Um, and it's basically a way to get our friends to watch things that we've been made, making them wanting to watch for a long time. The long um, list of movies that we all have, movies and TV shows that we all have and have not gotten to. Yeah, everybody's got their Captain America, the Winter Soldier <laughs> list of things that people have been recommending. Mine is for quite watch. long. <laughs> yeah, um, mine is too, but mine is, I mean, I don't know. It's whatever. Um, so uh we'll we'll go we'll, we'll give our book reports um <laughs> so um do you want to go first or sure. should i go first um i will go first um but first i'll let's tell them what we assigned each other so we can like yes give a little yes. um it's gonna be that. like we were we were chatting about this it's the spectrum of human emotion it is uh, we've assigned each other um i assigned the, the spectrum of human emotion and the two genders <laughs> In the two genders, because we'll get to that. Um, I assigned HT to watch the first two episodes of HBO and Damon Lindelof's The Leftovers. And HT, what did you assign me? And I assigned Willoughby the first two episodes of The Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance. I was thinking about assigning him a movie, but then after Willoughby assigned me a TV show and I just couldn't get Dark Crystal off my mind because I've been so excited about it, I was like, you know what? You watched the first two episodes of Age of Resistance. And I actually haven't been able to watch much more of uh, Dark Crystal just because I've been so busy. So I'm about the mm -hmm. same place as you are. So it will be fun to like just talk about those episodes. Yeah. And um, I also, in preparing for the release of the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, I've actually see I actually saw the movie. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I saw it like a week ago. So okay. like I know like it's very fresh in my head, but um, I'll get to that. So who wants to go? Do you want to go? Should I'll I go? go? I'll go first. Okay. Uh, all right. So The Leftovers was a show that I have been meaning to get to for a long time. It's been looming over my head because I've heard so many good things, not just from my friends, Willoughby and Anya, uh, but also from the critical circles that have, you know, acclaimed this as one of the best recent TV shows, um, like, that were airing. But it has it finished its three-season run. And I've heard so many things about it, it being sort of um, Damon Lindelof's uh success after loss like he took the 
the lessons that he took from Lost and created a really fantastic, really successful show of those high high concept, ambitious themes that he kind of explored. And as a Lost fan and a defender, I sort of resent the fact that people are like, oh, this is like compared favorably to Lost. I'm like, okay, Lost is great. But also I am curious to see like what, Lindelof does as like a more experienced and more just like seasoned writer and um so I watched the first two episodes of The Leftovers which are fantastic um (laughs) it reminds I I was a little worried at first because um in the beginning which is a lot of introduction it reminded me a little bit of you know all the lost knockoffs that came in its wake uh flash forward i don't remember all those things and i remember watching the flash forward and being really intrigued by its pilot and being really excited and then it just kind of degrading into all this soap um and uh, i feel Wasn't i there could... one so recently called what is it manifest yeah where it was like they they were on a plane <laughs> and then they were they disappeared for five years and then they came back but to them, it's only been like, like a bad case of turbulence. But for the rest of the world, it was like five years or something. And it starred Josh Dallas. I don't think it lasted, but it was very lost in in the sense of like, there's a plane and there's a mystery box. Huh. <laughs> I actually heard about that, but it seems like a strange time to come out because it's like way after all the lost knockoffs came out, and now people are like, yeah. we have more. I think it was. Yeah. I think it was writers of Once Upon a Time doing their next thing because mm-hmm. they were writers on Lost. Mm, gotcha. so it was then being like let's do some flashbacks <laughs> <laughs> no but um i do i so that's what i was um so when i was going into the leftovers i was a little i could see some of the elements of melodrama that i was like i hope it doesn't get too like soapy and melodramatic but i'm really intrigued so far by all the characters that have been introduced and um justin thoreau as like a super hot cop i'm into as well uh i really like all the intrigue in that they you know, reveal a little bit at a time, but they don't give you the entire picture immediately. So it does keep you really hooked. And um, yeah, that first scene is just like so well done in the the depiction of the disappearance. Um, I don't know what the event is called. It's just kind of like the departed, the departing, right? That's what they call it. Basically, there's there's um, I think other I think in universe, different people have different things of calling it. But I think like the nomenclature of it has been like the 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 departed i think the departed the departure the, or like the departure uh like the event is called the departure I mm. think. But yeah it's um i really love that that for the opening scene it kept me really hooked um and um yeah i was surprised like how slow it went in the next like two episodes but i i the characters are all really rich i'm really intrigued by the cult led by ann dowd and um, i think that the depictions that they have of all these sort of religious uprisings and these kind of cults that came out of the um the departure are quite realistic and quite um just you know very all varied uh and uh it's just like it's such a great depiction of grief and of that what that event would entail like what kind of impact it would have um so i i'm looking forward to watching more and i do like the the dreamy elements that come in with justin thoreau's character and him not really being sure whether he's awake or asleep especially pertaining to like the dog shooter um that like uh, adds another interesting twist into things so um yeah so far I, oh I will say I was also surprised to see Liv Tyler in this because I actually did not know or maybe I forgot that she was in this show and I was like wow 
that was a really big name that they got and I'm like oh maybe she'll die in the first episode because like this they're like the biggest name of hers but no she's she's just sticking around and she's gonna be here yeah, i'm assuming for a while because she seems like she's a, a regular character. character yeah so Liv Tyler was a nice surprise. Christopher Eccleston playing sort of a doomsday uh, priest was uh, really fun to see. Um, yeah, Justin Theroux is excellent. Margaret Qualley, Qualley? Uh, I like her, what, like what she's doing. This is before she kind of became like, the summer it girl that she is now with like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So it's fun, it's fun to see her play like the insolent teen that populates all of these kinds of shows. Um, by the way, that high school sh- party that she goes to is just so wild. I was like, wow, no party is like this, but whatever. I guess this is good for plot. <laughs> um, and I was also surprised to see that Carrie Coon doesn't show up until um, the end of the first episode, I think. And Because yeah. I remember her <laughs> performance being really lauded uh with the show and i kind of assumed that she was like the second lead or something after justin throw i mean she definitely becomes the second to Mm. co like second lead co-lead by the beginning of the second season Mm -hmm. um as her um uh relationship with justin throw's character evolves Mm. um so like they like that her that's where like the the lauding and the um like the praise comes from it's sort of like closer to the end of the first season, beginning of the second and third seasons, okay. where she's much more of a major character. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah. So I appreciate the slow burn of the series so far. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as like sci-fi twisty as I expected it to be because the only real sci- – oh, okay. The only just real wait. sci-fi – right now, like, um, Willoughby is just kind of like uh, thumbing your nose or just like not thumbing your like... just, just, I'm just I'm just making a signal to be like, you know, just the – you know, yeah. it's Damon Lindelof. Yeah, it is Lindelof. Yeah, because like Lost, Lost wasn't very science fiction. It's it's in true. The very it's, first episode. It either. is very well. The first episode, I'd say, is kind of science fictiony because we do have like those weird visions that Jack sees, as well as mm-hmm. you know the, the smoke monster and everything. Well, not smoke monster actually. That doesn't show up till later. But the weird sounds and okay. all that stuff. Uh, but the first season for sure is very character driven. Um, so I was, oh yeah, I was, I was still a little surprised even just to see like. The, they're being scant sci-fi elements except for with the exception of the beginning and the de- the departure itself um, right it's like what happens after the world after like what was the percentage two percent like, of the world's population two percent of the world's population disappears in one moment um if you've ever seen avengers endgame it ripped uh, off the leftovers pretty much like the first hour of avengers endgame is enough is is the episode of the leftovers in which the avengers star and yeah and like and the opening scene of avengers endgame with hawkeye losing his family is literally the opening scene of the leftovers it's well even even um the scene with uh uh nick fury and Mm -hmm. uh maria hill at the end of infinity war where they're in the city and like airplanes are coming down and everything like that's sort of what happens uh also where like car crashes are happening um i remember watching my first my first time and the only time i've ever seen this the the pilot of the leftovers where like i didn't know what i was getting myself into and i watched that i was like oh shit this like they just go for it there's no explanation they just do it um i like that it's it's um, a wild show there's a really great uh tweet thread from matt ziller sites on twitter talking about how he doesn't like uh what is it premise pilots where a pilot for a tv show will take you know 
the entirety of its run to set up the story before actually getting into the story. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the opposite of what we see here in The Leftovers. It's the opposite of what we see in Lost because you get you start off right after the crash. And in The Leftovers, you start off with the disappearance. And so I, I really appreciate that. I think it's a great storytelling device that's very underused in television. And um, yeah. so it's it's a, the immediate res. So... And I, I enjoy that in um, and how it's just expertly executed in this series. So I'm really intrigued. I'm, gonna, I'm excited to go into it. I have so many shows to watch. I haven't even gotten beyond like what I've seen of Succession so far. So I can't say that I will be like blazing through it. Um, but I'm so excited to see it. And thank you, Willoughby, for assigning this to me. Uh, I did it. I started watching The Leftovers after talking about it for like three years. Hell yeah! It's a it, the, these two episodes are a little amuse bouche for you to Ooh. get your 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 whistle your whistle wet and like you know taking a dip into the into the river to see what you think of the temperature um, because yeah like I I've been wanting you to watch the leftovers for so long because I think it's up your alley in terms of like character based Damon Lindelof expressions of grief. Um, and like all these different things and how these all intertwine. And I think that the first two episodes are a good showcase of what the show is, at least in the first season. Mm. Um, second and third seasons um, ramp up, I guess, is mm. a, a very vague way of saying like, uh, like it kind of, I wouldn't say a reboot, but um, the, it doesn't, it sort of like time progresses there's changes like it doesn't say stay stagnant Mm -hmm. stagnant Stagnant. yeah that's the word stagnant um so like between the first like i there was a i wouldn't say a a tonal shift between the first and second season but there is some sort of there like you'll 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 notice that like it um because i believe if i'm not if I, i believe i'm correct in what i'm saying the novel is only the first season and so everything in second and third season uh, is all Damon Lindelof, and I think also consulted by the author. So like, mm. it's sort of like what Big Little Lies did, where it took a novel and then did more story after the first season is done with the the, the story of the novel. Mm. Um, yeah, but the 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 show is really good. Scott Glenn, have you met Scott Glenn yet no, on the show? I haven't actually. I don't think. Okay. Yeah. He plays he plays uh, Justin Thoreau's dad. Oh no, wait, we um, did. Sorry, we didn't met him in the second oh. episode. Yeah, sorry. I... Oh yeah. Scott Glenn, Scott Glenn is always great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, the, the Leftovers is a really good show, and I recommend anybody for who wants to watch a show like the first hour of Avengers Endgame, but without the Avengers. Uh, it, that's what the Leftovers is. That's what I liked about Avengers Endgame, the first yeah. hour. I was one of the few who liked it. I was like, yeah, slow things down, talk about your grief, meditate on yeah, humanity. That... <laughs> Yeah, so like when you were, when we were reviewing Endgame, I was like, "Oh, HT, you should really watch The Leftovers know, because it's thirty hours of that." <laughs> uh, wow, yeah, there's just some things that just made for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then let's head over to your presentation, Willoughby. Get in front of the class, would you? <laughs> yes. Um, so I want to preface it by saying I have seen the Dark Crystal movie. I watched it. Um, last week, uh, in, pre- in preparation of the release of the Dark Crystal: Colon Age of Resistance, which is Netflix's 
um, prequel series to The Dark Crystal, which is, I believe, like a 1982 movie by Jim Henson and mm-hmm. Frank Oz. I think uh, you're probably right about the date. Uh, yeah. I'm going to check it, but keep going. It's very, I mean, it's in, it's a very early 80s high fantasy, throws you into the into the deep end of, of, of craziness. Um, they basically take the, you know, like a fantasy world that we think we know and then completely flip it and create like the most imaginative creatures I think I've ever seen on camera. I think like the, the movie is really good. So, but I'm not talking about the movie today because we're talking about the TV show, but I want to say, I know the world of the dark crystal at least for a week now, because that was what I, I watched it last week. Um, and what I really like about the prequel series is that it sets up a world that is not ravaged by this, you know, but why, what happens in the, in the movie? Like there is a time, there's definitely a time period between the movie and the TV show. And right now they're like in a time of peace mm-hmm. and like, and like there's some tension building. And I really, I have, I have thoughts and I wrote them down. Oh, um, because, well, I mean, I, you know, this is homework, so I got to I got to study. Um, so the first thing I wrote was these puppets are horny um, because oh. the very the very first the, the very first scene is uh, Taryn Edgerton's character, Rian, uh, and his girlfriend, Mira, I believe. Yes. Um, they are like two guards in the castle um, they and they're frisky. like running around. They're like kissing each other, and I'm like, "Ooh, this is a pup. These are puppets." Um, <laughs> that's exactly my that's very much my thought too. I think that's a lot of people thought people's thoughts. But they, like, this, it's like this is the thing about the show is that it's all puppets. There's, you know, there's it's it's you know if you've ever watched the Muppets or Sesame Street or anything by Jim Henson, they're puppets. Like it's uh, produced by the the Jim Henson Company. Um, I believe his daughter is a showrunner on yes. the show, or at least an executive producer. She, Lisa Henson um, is an executive producer, yeah. Yeah, and it feels like it would be like if puppetry still was like a main, like if like the if the Muppet Show never stopped airing, I feel like this is where we'd be with puppets, where it's just so crazy to think that they did this with puppets mm-hmm. and and like miniatures and some elements of, of computer gen, of computer graphics where it's like a background is probably green screen, but like all the, all the animation, if you can call it that puppetry is all like right there on the screen. It's all detailed. Like they could have easily done a dark crystal CGI story that like emulates the, uh, the, the style of the, of the movie, but is, you know, clearly computer generated I'm trying to think of a of a TV show that has recently done that, but um, yeah, I'm drawing a blank. But it's something that they could have easily cut corners with and done it, that. It's like but when instead, the Star Wars TV shows do like a CG animated series, yeah. like you know. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, the Clone Wars is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to badden up the Clone Wars, but like, it's like they could have done a live action Clone Wars series. Like, I don't know. But puppetry is so unique and the character designs are so crazily unlike anything i've ever seen Mm -hmm. besides the movie like but like what i really love about the the first two episodes is that they take this world that it you're you're thrown into the deep end of this world like 
it's not on Earth. It's not elves and dwarves and men. It's Gelflings and Skeksis and Mystics and a whole bunch of different like races and animals. And you're just sort of like, yeah, okay, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm just gonna, I got, you know, just gonna keep up with the names and I'm good. Like, but otherwise, like, I loved watching these first two episodes. They are so like, it's just basically like the production value and the art direction is like, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it on like, maybe not since Mad Max Fury Road. Like the, the attention to detail on all of it is it's beautiful. Is, it's sort of, it's crazy to think that they made this like that Netflix took a risk and made a dark crystal prequel series for of 10 hours of this. Um, and the cast is amazing. You've got like Taryn Edgerton, Alicia Vikander, um, uh, Gugu Mbatha Ra. Like, there's so many Mark people. Hamill. Mark Hamill, uh, Aquafina, Bill Hader, Andy Samberg. Like, there's so many. Like, if you just go down IMDb, the cast list for this, like, it's kind of nuts that so many people were like, "Yeah, let's do a Dark Crystal prequel," and you're like, "Wow." A lot of people know, like, what this is. Yeah. I never really heard of the Dark Crystal besides, like, little in-passings people, like, you know, like, Generation X podcasters talking about, like, oh, I love the Dark Crystal. And I'm like, cool, I've never heard of it. <laughs> um, and, and, like, I hear, and then I hear they're doing a prequel series and, like, the, thankfully, the movie's on Netflix and Amazon Prime. So I was able to, like, have the ability to watch it before watching the prequel series. But I don't think you need the movie. Yeah. I, like you were saying that you can go in blind, and I sort of wanted to be like, oh, I got to watch it first because it aired first sort of deal like that. You know, I don't know. That's how my brain works. Um, but the the TV show, you could really – you don't need to watch the movie. Like you really don't. Like they really – they do a good job of setting up the world. The world building is so good and so wild. Um, and like I, th- I think every every new shot – every new establishing shot was just le- leaving me like breathless in a way that I haven't been in a long time with a TV show where I'm just like, everything I want to watch, I want to watch it like now. Like, I just want to see this world and like, I can't wait to, you know, this podcast is great, but I can't wait to get off the podcast to go watch more episodes. <laughs> like I have eight more waiting for me. Like the show is so good. Um, and it's, it's an adventure quest show where and there's a dark crystal and there's these bad guys who are in charge of the crystal who like rule over the world but then there's these gelflings which are basically like the the, i guess the human equivalent you know like they're the most populated people on the earth or on thrar 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 Thrar. Thrar. and they live in harar (laughs) um but there's and there's like seven different clans and they all like have like they're all different there's one that lives underground there's like the warrior clan. There's like the like the elf. Like they're more like elves, where they're like high and like mighty it's sort very of deal. Elegant and beautiful, yeah. And it looks like there's these three main character, three main gelflings. I like the word gelfling. I know it's great. Like who who are realizing that like the power of like the like the power imbalance is like fucked up. Yeah, and maybe we should do something about it's like it. Poisoning the world. Yeah, and there's like the like the dark crystal has been corrupted and now that and now it's like feeding into the rest of the world. Um and like these Skeksis, which are these like demonic bird man creatures, are just like they are they're like the 
like if you have you if you've ever seen like a fat cat Wall Street in like New, the New Yorker, they basically look like those where they're just like power hungry, money grubbing, uh, like just like overwhelmed with like power corrupts absolutely sort of deal mm-hmm. um it's very funny to me too that they present themselves as benevolent leaders and they look like the most evil things in existence and yet everyone's like sure that sounds yeah. right it's like that's so weird um and so yeah so like uh there's like rumblings of resistance where people are sort of discovering things about the world that they were like well wait a minute this isn't right um so I'm not too far into the show. It's show's plot, but just the like visually, the show is unlike anything I think I've ever seen before. And I really am it was super impressed with that because I was a little hesitant because I was like, I never really grew up with the Muppets as like a main thing. I I had watched the Muppet movie. I had seen the like the Muppet Christmas Carol, like some of the movies that they did, but they were like always like in terms of like my appreciation for them was always on the like outside looking in where I was like, this is always really cool. Um, and like, I don't know, maybe because I, I missed the boat on the Muppet show or I missed the boat on like watching these, the, I mean, I remember watching a lot of the movies, but I was never really like, uh, never really had a, an appreciation for them until later on when I saw the Muppets, which was Jason Siegel's like take on the movie. Um, and like a couple other, uh, like rewatching Muppet Christmas Carol, like so, like I had as an adult who was a, who is likely more mature than I was as a kid, uh, had more of an appreciation for the Muppets now. Mm-hmm. So getting into the Dark Crystal is sort of like, well, what if there were no humans in in this like, you know, it's all puppets, yeah. and that's crazy. It's to a think hard, about. like, I was, it's a hard sell, and yeah, yet they pulled it off so well. They did, and like the movie is still like it holds up in a in a sense of like this is what they could do at the time mm-hmm. this is what like the like they a lot of the dialogue or a lot, a lot of like the main characters dialogue is actually just an interior monologue voiceover um because they couldn't like animate the, the mouth all the time so like he has no one to talk to so they were just like we're just gonna put voiceover a lot of what he's doing and i'm like that's cool um and like a lot of that works um and and still and like the, the skexies are like the real like uh complicated puppets and stuff um and so in this series it's basically like modern day filmmaking but with puppets and it's just puppets yeah. and i'm like it's crazy it's puppets so uh, uh, when I went to the Jim Henson exhibit that's at the Museum of Moving Image, there's a really interesting uh, tidbit in which Jim Henson apparently dreamed of sort of jump-starting a new genre of filmmaking, a new like medium that would be exclusively like puppetry. And that's like such an ambitious dream that he tried to you know realize with The Dark Crystals, the first film that he made and the only film that he made that was like fully puppet populated um and it never really did take off after his death um uh but i think that the dark crystal age of resistance resistance proves that you know his dream could be realized and it looks amazing and it it tells like an amazing the storytelling is also so seamless and smooth despite being such a sprawling cast and like this huge world and um real like complex mythology too so like 
I remember being really concerned because at the beginning of the first episode, they're like doing a whole sort of map intro of all the clan, yeah. the Gelfin clans, and I was like, oh no, are they just gonna explain it to me? And like, I'll be like really confused. But it really like just lands you in the story well and you get to know the characters despite there being so many and you get to know and love these characters too and they look really distinctive and they just um kick off the plots in ways that uh are really gripping but yeah go on to it yeah, every you. no it's fine every gelfling is unique there's not one gelfling that's like you think that what you know like it like an animation you just have all the soldiers look like and they would just, you know, have some sort of mask on top of them, and that that would be like how we can, how they can get away with it, or like all the, like the sisters of the, like the princesses would all be like the same variation of on the same gelfling, but just maybe their hair is different. But no, like each individual puppet is created with such attention to detail that is such a and the, their voices are so distinct that you could basically figure out who everyone is by the end of the first episode, which is what I think you need to do with a show like this, which is um so alien to what we normally think of when we think of fantasy mm-hmm. that i that you know that it doesn't take place in, in like you know what we think of like middle earth or dungeons and dragons like it's so but like there's still that element of familiarity where in terms in terms of like character types and who these people are mm-hmm. and i think that's where like you can come in with like if you're scared to like dive into something that is so like different than what we normally think of when we think of fantasy. I think that that is, that it does a really good job of bringing you into this world of Gelfling, Gelflings and Skeksis um, that I think does a really good job. I want to, I want to like compare it. I mean, this is obviously not as good, even though it is amazing, but Aquaman sort of does has like the same sort of like seven kingdoms and world building and lore that you and, and rules wild and designs and just like wild so design. much mythology and that it just like kind of like throws it all at you and says pick it up yeah and like yes i'm picking it up um and i think the the, the dark crystal ages of resistance does that really well like they do it like i, I think i kind of almost wish i didn't watch the movie because mm-hmm. i wanted like I wanted to see the experience from a brand new newcomer to the, sh- to the show because I was familiar with the Skeksis and like the Gelflings and whatnot and the world. And I was like, Oh, I wonder, like, I guess I should have not watched the movie, but I also liked the movie really well. Um, and like, it's seamless. It's almost like they, om- they went back to everything that they were doing before. And they were just like, well, now we've got high definition cameras. Yeah. Um, and like beautiful and CG enhanced backgrounds that are just like the most gorgeous so tapestries I've ever seen. <laughs> They're so pretty. Like the, first, the the movie does matte paintings, and mm-hmm. you know, there's always a soft spot in my heart from a good matte painting. But the computer generated backgrounds on this show still are really good. There's a shot of the castle. Um, I think it's in the second episode that reminded me of shot in Arrival. Mm. where they're coming they're coming over the plains yeah. to find to, and you see like the first image of the alien spaceship it was like the same setup where it's like the spaceship and the castle are in the background there's this magnificent foreground of greenery mm-hmm. and i'm just like i want to go there <laughs> oh gosh i would totally go to a thraw theme park oh yeah um like I'm surprised Disney isn't already on. I guess Jim Henson Company is its own thing. Yeah. But the, I know the puppets are owned by Disney. Um. But like the Jim Henson Company, like, I I really I don't 
I haven't gotten to the end of the Dark Crystal prequel series, but I think there is a rich world there that they can do, you know, a lot of stories with if they want to like continue it. And I would be more than happy to watch more of it. Apparently, I was listening to an interview with Lisa Henson, and there was they did a a, a graphic novel sequel to the dark crystal mm. so that it's it, it that takes place after the events of the film so I'm, I'm i might check that out after i'm done with the prequel series um but yeah no it's just like it's so interesting to look at and you think that it won't be because it's puppets and you're just like oh this is this is gonna be like you know you could see what what the the seams and you can't you can't see where like the humans would be i'm trying to think like whenever i think of, whenever i see the skeksis i'm like are these people are these humans dressed up like skeksis with like puppeteering around them or are these like full blown like puppets like it's blowing my mind i can't think of i i i'm like I'm, i can't wrap my head around it but i love it it is it, they really just immerse you in that world and you forget for a lot of it that you're watching puppets because you're just so you know enthralled by the entire thing and that's like greatness of the storytelling in the series i really love dark crystal age of resistance it's yeah. kind of a miracle it exists really it is like you think that it wouldn't ever exist because like you know it wasn't a major critical i mean it was it's critically lauded now mm-hmm. and it has like, like a cult but following but it wasn't huge it a, yeah it's like in a it's like a the definition of a cult 80s fantasy film mm-hmm. um it's definitely one of like never, jim henson's underrated films i'd say yeah, you'd like you'd never think of it as something that would be like in the pantheon of like high fantasy. But I guess now, I mean, more likely than not, it's going to be re- well regarded because mm-hmm. people are going to be um, picking picking it back up and taking a, a second look at it. But like, it wasn't like a critical. It wasn't like a box office success, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think and, you know, it's such it's so interesting that Netflix. We've had so many conversations about Netflix recently about like they're you know canceling shows left and right. Not taking any risks, but they took a risk on the Dark Crystal, and I think it it paid out like a slot machine. Yeah, because you know, like a lot of the the big Netflix projects are nostalgia driven, and there is some nostalgia around Dark Crystal, but nothing that's as strong as, say, I don't know, Full House, or even Stranger (laughs) Things, because like like you said, not a lot of people watch Dark Crystal or like have that much of a passion for it it's like real real nerds have a passion for dark crystal um so it's just like i think a testament to the production design and the storytelling and like the beautiful uh design of it all that it's so good and so successful i think and it's getting a lot of critical praise so i think it's a it's a good risk it's a great risk they did yeah i think it's incredible and i can't wait to watch more I'm trying to think of like I like I like the main characters. I think they're all they all have interesting uh, like uh, distinctions. Like one of them is a princess, mm-hmm. Brea, Princess Brea. Yes. Um, she's like she, she reads like books in the library with the librarian by Toby, like voiced by Toby Jones. Yeah. And I'm like Toby Jones, what are you doing up in here? <laughs> oh, of course it's fantasy. Of course you're here. Um, <laughs> you're a british actor of course you're in a show they have like half the, the british content in this in this series right here <laughs> and some yeah. americans um yeah um anya taylor joy plays Bria. the she, 
Bria. She plays Bria. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to think. And then Gugu Mbatha-Ra plays... Uh, it's actually Natalie Emmanuel uh, who plays uh, Deet. That's right. I'm mm-hmm. trying to think. Yeah. There's a lot of characters. And then Karen Edgerton plays Rian. Um, Rian. Yeah. But he's spelled like Ryan Johnson. <laughs> I know. I keep almost mispronouncing it, but I'm like, no, it's Rian. They keep saying it Rian in the show. Yeah. Oh, but I want to um, give a shout out to Best Boy, Hup. Podling. Hup the Podling Paladin. The oh my god. Pal- love- he just wants to be the most fa- the most famous paladin. I love him. <laughs> He's so good. He's okay, so there's this other race of creatures called the the Podlings and they're these like little round round creatures. They're friend-shaped and they're friend-shaped. <laughs> you just want to see them succeed. Um and he in the in the movie they're like slaves and like drained of their essence and like brainwashed not brainwashed but just like almost lifeless robots for the Skeksis. But in this they're like it's clear like they haven't been ravaged by the the world and they they're all in their in their business and and Hup meets um, Deet who is coming from the the cave dwelling Gelflings and she's on a quest. And they bump into each other, and he's like, "I'm gonna be a paladin," and she's like, "More power to you! I've never seen, I've never heard of a podling paladin, but that's amazing." He's like, "Hup, I'm Hup." Um, I love Hup. Well, I would die for Hup already. I've, I've had. Um, okay, what's the quote from Brooklyn Nine Nine? I've had Hup for a day and a half, and I, if anything happened to him, I would kill everyone in this room and myself. Yeah, Hup is great. Um, and then Rian, uh, he's he's got like the most dramatic arc of the mm-hmm. first two episodes, where he discovers that the Skeksis are like, oh no, these these evil looking creatures are actually evil. Oh no, um, and then so basically like he discovers a conspiracy and uh, tragedy befalls him and his friend, um, and he has to then uh, go on his own quest. And Bria, Rila has a vision, and she's like, oh shit, this isn't good. I'm also going to go on a quest. Um, or at least she's, she's about to go on a quest. Yeah. I, I assume so. Because like, it just seems like these three characters and Hup, Hup are going to meet. Yes. Um, Hup. Hup. Uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to watch it. Um, and uh, w- yeah, uh, I believe I believe the phrase is, we stand a legend with Hup. Hup. Hup the legend. <laughs> we stand a pod. We stand a podling. Oh. Um, yeah, no, uh, he's he's Hup. He's very good. He's a good boy. He's, a good he's boy. best boy. He's he's gonna be a paladin, and he's I wanna baby. I want him to succeed. <laughs> this is this is my friend Hup. He's baby. <laughs> okay, um, we're gonna just rename this episode to the Hup Podcast. <laughs> this welcome to well, welcome to Pod Pod. Welcome uh, to Pod Pod. I love it. Welcome to Podling Pod. <laughs> w- welcome to Podling Cast. I love it. Um, yeah, so the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance is incredible. Um, did you know that it was directed by the same guy who directed The Incredible Hulk? Yes. That's nuts to me. That that movie and this series were directed by the same people. Yep, and he's doing a much better job with uh, Age of Resistance, if I must say so. Yeah, I'm guessing, I don't know the production history of The Incredible Hulk, but it seems like he has his heart in this show. Um, Obviously, there's a huge, um, you know, system in place with 
the Jim Henson company as like a direction, sort of like the Lucasfilm to his J.J. Abrams in which that he can come in and be the director, but like there's also like a whole beast behind him creating this whole world. Um, and yeah, I wanted, I just want to shout out the car- the creature designers because I've talked about it at the end of this entire episode, but like really these creatures are nothing like I've ever seen before. It's sort of insane that, they got away with this oh, in terms of like the director, by the way, that we're talking about is Louis Leterrier, by the way. Yes. I forgot his name, but I remember it being the same guy from the Hulk. Um, he, the character, the, there's like little, little am- animals that are only like off to the side that are probably like animatronics that, you know, they don't have a hand in them, but you're just like, you're just like looking at them and you're going like, I would, I would feed all of you. I would want, <laughs> I, I want would to feed all of you. I want them take all, you home all and the, yeah, cuddle like, you in blankets. Except, except for the Skeksis. Those guys can uh, fuck off. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're With evil. their snot. Um, there's a lot of snot in the God. first episode. I was like, wow, there's, there's just like so much snot happening with the Skeksis. They are, they are very, very uh, public demonstrations of evil. Mm-hmm. Just like their evil um, is literally oozing out of them. Exactly. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think, I think it, it follows the world set up by the movie so well and expands on it in such a way that I think that Jim Henson would be so proud of it because I think that it gets the tone right. It gets the character right, characters right. It gets everything that the movie was doing and just like does it literally 10 times bigger because it's 10 times more hours Mm -hmm. and i think that it's incredible and just yeah i want everybody to go watch it if you can like it's so good yeah um can't wait to watch the rest of it so yeah um this this has been my report on uh the age of this has been my report on the dark crystal age of resistance uh can i go sit back down now okay you may go back to your seat willoughby okay okay thank you so that's the dark crystal age of resistance which is streaming on netflix now and the leftovers which is streaming on hbo go or now um so you just check check out both of those things we highly recommend both of those series uh, and go beyond the two episodes that we talked about because they are fantastic yay all right now that our class book report is over, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Okay. Willoughby. Now it's time for second period. Second period. It's our free period in which we talk about all the other things that we talk that we want to talk about. Uh, but only yeah. one thing because I have a let's- rule. Let's let's ditch school. Let's uh let's leave. Let's play get hooky. out of here. Yeah. Uh let's play hooky and uh go uh not do any illegal things. Yeah, you can you can really tell that we're really good at playing hooky. Yeah. All right. Um Willoughby, why don't you start us off? What do you really like this week? Um I watched so a couple of weeks ago on the podcast we were talking about Miyazaki and how the Blank Check podcast has been doing their miniseries on Miyazaki, and I've been watching the films uh, when they do, like, in, like, week by week with every new episode, and they got to Kiki's Delivery Service, which is one that HC recommended that I definitely watch because, um, well, the movie is great. It's perfect. It is 
what we like to call in the business nice core yeah uh, it is so good i want to watch it a hundred more times uh kiki's great she's got a broom she's got a cat and she's got a radio and she's a witch and she's like i'm gonna go be a witch for a year in a, t- in a city and it's all about leaving home and becoming your own person and growing up and like depression as well as like creativity and art and finding yourself and just being a good person and also bread (laughs) (laughs) it's also about bread it's the millennial struggle essentially it's the millennial struggle like 20 years before we were able to uh put a name to what the millennial struggle is which is like that weird time after graduation when you're just kind of getting used to adulthood and you don't know who you are yet and you have monetized your hobbies and you have no longer have passion for it and you kind of have to refine that that passion rediscover that passion so you can become the person that you're meant to be ht are you okay no i'm not okay i love this movie a lot um that was very specific (laughs) um no but yeah no like this movie's about freelancing it's about (laughs) it's just being like i i guess i'm good at one thing and i'm gonna do it well and then at one point it you know you create you're creatively drained and you're just like i'm gonna go be sad for a little bit and then you find your own way and you find your you know find inspiration usually uh in, in this in kiki's case it comes with um a a, a zeppelin and a, a boy who's obsessed with planes who's also a stand-in for Hayao miyazaki and um, also who's the best boy tombo best boy tombo tombo is also best boy um tombo likes flying machines and uh is trying to create a bike that can also fly and i'm like more power to you buddy (laughs) hey it flies because of the power of will and also magic but also and friendship and friendship yeah um him tombo and kiki are great uh Gigi the cat is uh best best cat best boy um so good I yeah I really love the film I was I was watching it with my girlfriend and like every time Kiki was sad we were like no don't Kiki don't be sad um the movie's really good um I want to watch it again and it's so beautiful I think it might be so far like in this what this mini series of watching his films like Castle in the Sky and Nausicaa are all really really great and they're beautifully designed um, but it's all very fantasy based. But mm-hmm. this one is like the first one that's really set besides Totoro, where like this one's really set in like the real world, quote unquote real world, even though there's witches, which are just like nonchalantly like, yeah, oh, oh you're a witch. That's great. Good for you. Um, like, that's so cool. Uh, her mom's like a potion master. And I'm like, hell yeah. Um, her dad, I think, is is I believe her dad is Harry James Potter. <laughs> I, he's also just a normal dude who likes to listen to he's weather all, yeah. reports. He's like a mu- he's like a muggle in this world, yeah. and I'm like, it's funny that like both this dad and the Totoro dad look like Harry Potter, and yeah. I'm like, they're designed the exact same way, but I love them regardless because they're best dads. Yeah, they're they are best dads. Um, yeah, no, the movie's really good. Uh, it's so yeah. There's nothing more I can say about it except you know without going into like well you know. Spoilers. creative creatively yeah creatively Being, bankrupt yeah i think it's a it, it definitely feels like a movie that was probably personal to the animators because it is about creating and um mm-hmm. all of that stuff and uh it's just 
done in a way that's so wholesome and in the kids movie, but not really a kids movie because Ghibli movies are for everyone. And they don't yeah, talk down no, to kids. Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely, definitely not like the, like, I mean, it's rated G, obviously. It's available for everyone, but it's not the kids movie in quotes mm-hmm. that gets derided. Like, yeah. it's so, it's very mature, and but it's about a kid. Like, mm-hmm. so what? Yeah, exactly. that's that's great. So I just want to say that this movie raised me <laughs> um, uh, because this is before I watched it so many times, even before I knew what Studio Ghibli was. Uh, at my grandma's house, she had like a small collection of movies on videotape. And one of them was Kiki's Delivery Service. So whenever I went over to her house, I would always pop in Kiki's Delivery Service and watch it. So I rewatched it maybe like a dozen or more times and I could probably quote the dialogue the beginning dialogue at least from heart and I also knew the theme song the song that plays like on the pop song when she first goes flying yeah. off I would also sing that a lot really annoyingly <laughs> and um it was a movie that yeah just is a uh, really close to my heart and I'm so glad you like it so much um I will say I remember it really bothering me when I was a kid because like that she was so mean to Tombo I'm like why are you so mean to him he's only nice to you and I never understood that um and then like also them being girl who uh to, like reluctantly takes like the fish that she delivers from her aunt, her aunt oh, yeah. is like the worst character in cinema history her. <laughs> she, her, like because they worked so hard on that so fish hard. pie they, they so fired long. up the old oven Kiki drew like flew in the rain and got herself sick to get that fish uh, pie or pie, whatever to her and she was like another one of grandma's fish pies I <laughs> like, grandma's not gonna be around for much longer you take the, you're taking those fish pies for granted yeah anyways as a child that was like the first time I experienced hate in my life and I was like I hate this girl <laughs> so I just wanted to tell that personal story I, think I hate someone <laughs> yeah I, I learned a lot about emotions through me through uh, Ghibli and Miyazaki films which I want to speak about in my yeah, really like this week. We've, we've got some good uh, synchronicity here. Yeah. I got some uh, similar themes to Willoughby. I also saw a Miyazaki movie that is dear, near and dear to my heart. Um, I adore it so deeply in fact that I feel like it owns a part of my soul. That might be very dramatic to say, but I'm starting to like get a little bit emotional in this part that it feels like I'm about to throw up because I love this movie so much. Gosh. This movie is, um, by the way, is Spirited Away. One of my favorite movies of all time, not just my favorite Miyazaki movies or Ghibli movies, but of all time. And uh, it's a movie that I first saw when I was 12. I got it in like a double DVD pack with that and Castle in the Sky. And that was the moment that I decided I was going to collect every Studio Ghibli movie in existence. And it was my first little collection. My first kind of like, you know, uh, I guess you would say it's like my my movie buff origin story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but um, You went on your own personal quest. <laughs> I did. Um, but I... Uh, Willoughby actually sent me this link because I wasn't aware this was happening. I, I feel bad as a New Yorker. Uh, but the Metrograph, which is a sort of specialty movie theater in New York City, was doing um, runs of Spirited Away in the theater. So they were showing in th- in their theater. And um, I jumped at the chance to see in theaters because I actually had never seen it in theaters before. I know this is uh, a big travesty, but I have seen it 
so many times on my DVD copy that I actually scratched that DVD copy and was not able to watch it again uh, for at least the past like seven years. It's a really badly scratched. Like I, whenever I try to scratch it to watch it, it always stops at the, um, the the scene after she leaves uh, Haku in the flower field and she first sees him as a dragon, and I get really upset. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you have a new copy now? No, I never got one, but I know they're going to be releasing a new Blu-ray copy of Spirited Away. Or maybe they already have, actually, so I need to buy myself one. I've got one on my Amazon wish list that I have, like, of Miyazaki films that I've been, like, buying over the course of, like, several paychecks. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, it's definitely got, like, a Blu-ray release that Mm -hmm. you can buy for, like, 15 bucks. I'm probably going to get it, or at least some point. I'm always kind of, like, I have it on my Christmas wish list for the past 10 years, no one has bought it for me because they're like, oh, that's just like an animated movie. Like, no, I actually need this. I don't know why no one's buying it from you for Christmas. Hey, it's essential to I'm my well-being. Let me, let, me, let me get that to be your Christmas gift Aww, this year. Oh, Willoughby, thank you. <laughs> Anyways, I haven't even gotten to the part where I got to see this in theaters. Um, but they were showing the um, – actually the English sub version, the subtitled version in theaters. Oh, interesting. Yeah, which was really fun to experience with a lot of kids who I don't think know how to read subtitles. So there were, there was a lot of people being like... They were like, too young. They were definitely too young. I was like, did the parents know that this was a subtitled version? Um, I don't think they did, but I think they enjoyed it regardless because the imagery in Spirited Away is just so beautiful and so just like jaw-dropping. Um how do I explain seeing this in theaters? I might have been trembling half the time. I was, I'm pretty sure I was like trembling because I was just so excited to see this again. I'm sorry. I might like not, I might be too emotional to actually talk about it because I just, I love this. You know, like when something's so close to your heart, you can't um, in good, like good conscious talk about it like very eloquently. That might be spirited away from me. I don't know how I'm going to be able to write about it in the future. We'll see. Um... <laughs> Uh, let's go into a short synopsis of Spirited Away then so I can gather my thoughts and, like, myself. (laughs) Spirited Away is a story about a little girl named Chihiro in an elementary school whose family is moving. She is sullen, she's spoiled, she doesn't want to move. And um, while they're driving to their new house, her parents uh, spot a, um, or, like, take a wrong turn. And they find themselves in front of an abandoned amusement park that had, uh, been, been abandoned, built and abandoned in the 90s when the economic boom in Japan uh, went bust. And so they decide to explore it. And after smelling something fantastic, the, the parents um, happen upon a stall selling food and they start eating uh, ravenously. Chihiro goes to explore, and when she, upon her return, she discovers that her parents have turned into pigs and that she is stuck in the spirit world. And with the help of a friend, a mysterious friend, Haku, may or may not be a dragon, and some new friends that she makes along the way, she is able to uh, make her way through this world and buy back her parents' um, freedom. This is not a spoiler. This is basically just like the plot of it. Um, it is just a... It's... It- it's a classic growing up story that takes place in the spirit world. Yes, it's a coming of age story and it's Alice in Wonderland. It's a Greek myth and I love that every time I see it, I can learn, I can kind of take something new from it. And I have seen it a dozen times, both in the English dub yeah. version and the English sub version. I will say the English dub version is actually not quite not that bad. Uh, Disney dubs of the Ghibli films in general are, are all pretty solid. 
Um, one difference I will say, like seeing the the sub again versus the dub that I'm more familiar with, just because I like seeing the dub so many times, uh, is that there is more ambiguity in the sub version, which I actually really enjoy. Um, and uh, the dub version also has a lot more comedy for you know the American audiences, and I think it they do some more cultural like, translation that works really well. Um, otherwise, I will say the parts I prefer about the subtitled version is the ambiguity uh, um, and the uh, the ending in particular, which I'm going to go into spoilers. Um, the final line in the dub version of Spirited Away is um, her parents saying, oh, new school, new friends, that does sound really scary. And she says, I think I can handle it. And in the subtitled version, Japanese, they say nothing as they drive away. And they, Like the parents or the kids? The parents and Chihiro say nothing. They just drive away. And what I've always really liked about that um, silent ending is that it's ambiguous whether Chihiro remembers her time in the spirit world or not. Because you see her leave, and as they're leaving, it's a repeat of the uh, the scene in which they're first entering the um, the park. And uh, it's you're like, oh, is she back? to reverted back to her old ways what's happening here um and like the only clue that you get is that she stares back for a long time because she's told not to look back a very orpheus type of you know twist greek mythology another thing that i kind of got a little bit more of a uh, glimpse of in this one um and she stares for a long time but then she turns around and you see like her little hair tie that she was that was woven by zaniba flash and then like they leave and I and so you don't know whether they, she remembers or not, or whether she was changed by this experience. But you kind of hope for it, or at least you kind of get the the um, get the idea that maybe she remembers something that she went through something, but that she doesn't remember everything that happened. And I feel like that is such a much more melancholy and bittersweet ending. And I love those kind of endings, so that's the ending that I I really prefer. Uh, speaking of emotions. You run the whole gamut, Spirit Away. And um, I I, uh, I have to, you know, give a shout out to that train scene. Um, that's still one of my favorite sequences in all of, like, movie movie history and something that is what made Spirit Away, like, my favorite, one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm sorry if I'm rambling here. I'm just like, I literally love this movie. Um, but the train sequence, uh, when I watched it first as a 12-year-old kid, I was not able to articulate why I loved it so much and what emotion it was making me feel it just I just felt a deep profound something and it was a new experience for me and I but I was never able to let go of it it left such a deep impression on me that I keep going back to it and back to it and even now watching it again as an adult you know 17 15 years after I first saw it I still am not able to fully articulate why I love this scene so much but it has to do with that deep melancholy and that deep sort of almost sadness in the scene, the how ephemeral it all is. Uh, that I I just I, I really love everything going on with it. The silence, the score by Joe Hisaishi that still moves me to tears every time I watch I, I listen to that score. It's called The Sixth Station. If you ever want to look it up on Spotify, um, it has. It, there's actually a. A great line from another movie that, um, that I l- really love called Before Midnight, uh, in which a character says, uh, it's also ephemeral. Um, to, we're so important to so many, but to, to others, we are just passing through. And I think that really 
articulates why I love the scene so much because you see so many of these faceless people and spirits passing through the, the train and you and like they're living their own lives and yet you don't know who they are you don't know what they're thinking and that like little glimpse that window into all their lives is just so sad to me but so like interesting I don't know um profound profound yeah that I just I can't I love that scene so much and uh it was a a a scene that yeah really spoke to me as a kid and I think opened me up to a lot of different emotions so and so I cry a lot at movies (laughs) um yeah uh spirit away I love it I love it um uh okay also it was part of a double feature of anime masterpieces that made me cry uh I won't go into this as long because I just went for like 10 minutes on spirit away I could go for hours but you know we'll stop there because I'm just becoming a mess uh, the second movie I saw at the Metrograph, they're also doing a sort of Satoshi Kon uh, marathon, in a sense. Uh, Satoshi Kon is the director of movies like Paprika, which famously in- uh, influenced Inception, and Perfect Blue, which was famously ripped off by Darren Aronofsky in Requiem for a Dream and Black Swan. Don't believe me? Look up the shot that he literally like takes blocking and framing and um, wise that just lifts it into Requiem for a Dream, straight from Perfect Blue. I like Mother Darren Aronofsky, but I won't forgive you for that. Um, And also, Black Swan wishes it were Perfect Blue, a movie I will never see again because it's just so traumatizing and horrible to watch. But excellent. Black Swan? Uh, No, Perfect Blue. It has one of the most uh, horrific rape scenes I've ever seen. Um, And uh, it's really difficult to watch. But... Millennium Actress is um, kind of the flip side of that coin to Perfect Blue. It's also an exploration of identity um, done through the eyes of sort of um, an actress. Both deal with show business and the idea of personas and personality and identity through the lens, through multiple lenses. And it's, it's very fascinating what he does with it. But Millennium Actress is a much more optimistic film. And where Perfect Blue is a psychological thriller, Millennium Actress is more of a character drama that almost is very similar in structure to Citizen Kane. I wouldn't be an exaggeration to call this the Citizen Kane of anime movies. And in fact, I'm going to say that because it is an excellent film. It's amazing a masterpiece and one of his uh, Satoshi Khan's underrated films people talk about Paprika and Perfect Blue a lot but because Millennium uh, Actress is not as um, visually striking as those movies it has a more subdued color scheme to um, to reflect the um, the nostalgic overtones and the uh, the camera the filming like the film grain of the time it actually does it so accurately so well um but i absolutely love what millennium actress uh millennium actress does in the way that it tells a story um i saw this and this is another another movie i saw really young and when i watched it i was blown away because i was like i did not know movies could be like this it tells the story of a famed legendary actress who is being interviewed by two documentarians who are making a movie about her life and she tells her life story and as she does the two documentary filmmakers find themselves experiencing it with her and in the actual like flashbacks and sequences in which she tells her story and they start to like film it and react to it and they become part of the film itself 
the, the macabre part of her past itself and the blurring of reality and fantasy because as she tells about her story um, it kind of interweaves seamlessly with the uh, movie sequences and the action sequences in which she's act- acting as an actress and the editing is just so rich it's so um, quick and fast and just so smooth that it really starts to blur at what you what reality you are experiencing you're not sure whether it's her life or whether it's a movie that you're watching and um it basically tells how she as a young child uh when she was first scouted to be an actress uh happens upon a political fugitive um an activist and who is fleeing from the law and she decides to save him and she falls in love with him but after he um he escapes from uh the pursuing policeman she never sees him again and so she decides to become an actress so that he will you know see her and she'll be able to reunite with him and through her entire life she's trying to find him and she becomes this you know rising star and ingenue because all of her her characters are also in a similar way trying to find something they're yearning for something and they're always chasing after that one thing that she cannot find and uh it's just it's so fantastically interwoven. It's such a great film. And um, Satoshi Khan is a filmmaker that I, I highly recommend you guys check out, even if you're not into anime films. He is kind of the polar opposite when it comes uh, in terms of just like stylistically to Miyazaki, where Miyazaki is all uh, fantasy and richly imagined worlds and um, what he can do to make the world more beautiful and more interesting. Satoshi Khan is all hard lines and realism and earthiness. And um, his power, I think, and his like uh, his greatest talent is in his editing, which is some of like the best and much most like fast paced and interesting editing I've I've seen, and something that you can't really achieve in live action because some of the shots are like a fraction of a second long, and it is something that you couldn't really do with a live action budget where you have a short amount of time. But with animation, you can do a throwaway cut to a throwaway scene, and it's almost subliminal. So it's so fast, but he does it, and he goes that way and it's just it's so fantastic and it's just like amazing filmmaking millennium actress a great movie uh an underrated classic if you guys uh, satoshi khan is a hard filmmaker to get into because his films are really intense i would recommend millennium actress or tokyo godfathers another sort of feel-good christmas movie very um frank capra-esque uh, and uh, those are two of my favorite of the Satoshi Kon films. The other ones I would have a hard time watching again because they are very demoralizing. <laughs> but um, yes, Satoshi Kon, all of his films are excellent. He tragically passed uh, in like, around like 2005 at the age of 40-something. And um, wow, yeah, he uh, died from cancer, which is just, like really, really tragic. Um, if, if, I feel like if he was working today, he would be considered uh, top, alongside Miyazaki if not even higher because he's just so he's just so fantastic but you know Miyazaki has my heart um but mm-hmm. yeah I was able to see those two anime masterpieces that made me cry at the Metrograph this Saturday and I could not be happier I got a poster from Millennium Actress they weren't giving out posters for Spirited Away sadly but I did buy myself the Chinese versions of the posters of Spirited Away and they are so good like they look so good I'm so excited to hang them up so Yay! That's what I really like for this week. I hope you were happy to hear me have a breakdown over Spirited Away and just like on the verge of crying the entire time. Hey, I mean, you know, 
it it's one of those movies that that gets you. Mm-hmm. I remember, yeah, like we all have those films, and I'm gl- I'm glad you were able to watch that film in theaters. I'm glad I saw that tweet where I was like, I have to let HT know about this if she doesn't already, because like every year. Uh, Fathom Events does Ghibli Fest mm-hmm. and so like I assumed at some point you had seen these movies and like you know at least spirited away in theaters because like I knew I know it's like one of your favorite films of all time but I was like hey it doesn't help it doesn't hurt to like to say like here it's playing in Metrograph at the Metrograph which is in New York City which you also live in so I was like heck yeah I'm gonna pass this along and so I'm really glad that you had a really great time thank you Willoughby thank yeah. you yeah <laughs> but yeah, Fathom Events, I always kind of miss those ones because it's a one-day thing, and it's always, like, during a yeah. weekday, so I, I miss those. Yeah, there was weird times. Like, I want to see – I want I actually want to try and see Spirited Away in, in theaters, and that's in late October. Good luck. But it's, like, October 27th, 28th, and 29th, which are, like, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm like, no, do it a Saturday. Come on. Um yeah uh yeah if you want to uh chat with us more about uh the leftovers dark crystal age of resistance or uh you have your own uh homework assignments that you want to assign people yeah if you ever want to like assign people to if you have a podcast and you ever want to have an idea for an episode (laughs) and it's just tell your friends to watch this thing you've been yeah. making, wanting them to watch. Uh, do that. If you have any recommendations that we can add to the list, rather, the long list, uh, please let us know. Also, if you want to talk about um, Kiki's delivery service, Spirited Away, uh, Millennium Actress, or any Studio Ghibli films, also let us know. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter, at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can rate, review, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Uh, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye.